hamster with a blunt penknife would do it quicker. Welcome back to uh, Hamster with a Blunt Penknife, the Doctor Who commentary podcast. Simon Hart, I've only got one question for you. Yes. Are you claiming superior knowledge? Equal, maybe. And what happened to that fellow? Well, that's a very good question. I think he's probably in prison somewhere. Not the actor. The (laughs) you're supposed to say he died. Oh well, God. (laughs) Well, yes, um, he died. Uh, Did you know? Did you know the flora and the fauna is in the crystal? I hope you can. Oh no! Is it acknowledged what a technical achievement that is? <laughs> so, what are we talking about today? Today, Joe, we are talking about the Nightmare of Eden. What's that? That's my mandrel. Now, I made this mandrel when I was nine years old. Oh my god! Like, okay, Based on the a- pattern from the Doctor Who pattern book, he's lost his little tassels. He had little woolen tassels at the front. Have you still got the book? Mandrel. I've still got the book. Wow. Oh, my God. I never get rid of anything, oh, Joe. I'm going to have to bring this out as a video just so people can see this. <laughs> um, yeah, look at so Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. It actually looks scarier than the ones in the show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Do you know what? Okay. You hit with something desperately cute every time we do this. Every single yep. time. Every time. You're a minute in this time and you've done it already. <laughs> well, I couldn't wait. He's been waiting for his, his moment in the sun for a very long time. Poor little thing. So gorgeous. What other patterns are in the Doctor Who pattern book? Oh, God, there are all sorts of things. So there's um, Knit and Nasty, where you can, which Lucy would love. Um, where you can knit an axon, axon, which she's done, and a yeti and, and all sorts. There's a canine handbag that you could make. You could make Lola Ward's sailor suit, Adric's costume, <laughs> the whole lot. And there are, there are lovely, lovely photo spreads in the book of um, people looking very, very embarrassed to be wearing these clothes that oh <laughs> have been knitted for them. Oh, I'm going to try and find that book. It is an absolute joy of a book, that is. And it's written by a woman called Joy as well. So um, when I was was young, my my nan was a huge knitter and she she just knitted us jumpers every year. We'd get a new jumper sort of around autumn each year. And um, she went into WH Smith's and spent weeks copying out the pattern for one of the Doctor Who jumpers and then had missed, got it. So she had to sort of make her own. She knitted me a special Doctor Who jumper, which I still have. I, I she, haven't she, got. She was essentially using WH Smith's as a library. Yeah, basically. Yes. Love your man. Yeah, she was good. That was, and that was the last jumper she ever knitted me because she said, I've got too bloody big. <laughs> and so she said, I can't afford the wall. She said, and it'll take me forever to knit you jumpers after this. So this will be the last one. So it's beautiful. It was in jade green because it was the mid, mid to late 80s with a yellow Doctor Who logo that she designed herself that she knitted in. You still got it? So, yeah, I've still got it somewhere. I have to find it sometime. I haven't oh, seen it for a little while. Next time I come to your house, you got to be wearing that, all right? Yeah, I, I really would not fit in that. I would not. <laughs> but. Um, okay, so I'm going to be unusually solemn for a moment. Okay. Um, and say that something very sad has happened in the last week or so. 
Um, and that is that we lost Bob Baker. Um, we did, yeah. Yeah, only a few days before we recorded this. Which, uh, now you and I talked about, you, you, I, you and I and Fraser talked about Bob mm-hmm. Baker when we were recording the Armageddon Factor. We did. Um, and you had some wonderfully positive things to say. Now, I don't always think that Bob Baker and Dave Martin are given the credit that they deserve. No. Mm-hmm. It's it's true. I, they they had such a vivid imagination, and they pushed Doctor Who to do things that it couldn't always achieve. But the ideas that they were presenting, like okay, well we're going to miniaturize the Doctor and Leela, and inject them into the Doctor's brain. Well, who who's going to do that? Who's <laughs> how could you? That was a good idea. But how could you? Yeah. But they 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 got the technique right, didn't they? Because then they miniaturized the Doctor and Drax in Armageddon Factor, and they, and they managed to make it look amazing. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, and each year, each of their stories is pushing the series in a different way. So you've got Claws of Axos, which is psychedelic and trippy and weird, and um, maybe that came a lot from Michael Ferguson, who's also sadly just just passed away as well. But he directed that with such verve and visual style that that gave that a really good story you've got the mutants which oh, that, is that's a really smart script which is I, a really I, in, yeah do you not feel like like that if that was four episodes i think that would be yeah it's just stretched slightly too far yeah. but that's a pertwee six-parter that's not that's a fault of the the time rather than the script i mean there is so much in that particularly sort of the anti-colonialism, oh, the handing yeah. countries back, um, planets back to, to their indigenous population and with, withdrawal of the invaders and all of that. And then the transformation and the mutts are, are brilliant. It's a really good idea. And it, it's part of the life cycle of the planet. By all accounts, yeah. they, they were heavy researchers. So there's a lot yeah. of smarts in their scripts because they've done, you know, they've done the homework before they've written them. Yeah, uh, three doctors. Exactly. And yeah, they are they're given. Else. Yeah, I mean, they're given the task of writing the first multi doctor story. Mm. And you don't give that to just anyone, you give that to writers you trust will come up with something interesting and, and wonderful. And they set the pattern then for every other multi doctor story after it, with the bickering between the incarnations, all of that. That comes from them. I was just taking a stroll with my friend and then this horrible grape jelly. <laughs> <laughs> and shall me tell me zoop there he was. <laughs> a hero. I should have been a god. <laughs> a god. <laughs> and then, um, and then, no, then you've got I, the Sontaran experiment yeah. where it's vicious and nasty and short like the Sontaran and they can do visceral, horrible things oh, with... like torture porn, isn't it? It's yeah, nice. basically, yeah. And they write an all-location story. They've got limited resources. They're told they're the location part of this six-part block. And they rise to that occasion. Hand of Fear, they write out Sarah Jane. Hand of Fear. Okay, can I just say, I think that is an extremely underrated story. Mm -hmm. What they do with Hand of Fear is they essentially write a different type of Doctor Who story in every single episode. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it it's full of terrific dialogue, but and it builds to that wonderful twist of this egocentric alien 
He was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to take over Castria and I'm going to be all important. And it's that brilliant line, or was it? Hail Eldrad, king of nothing. Well, mm-hmm. It's so good. That's I think, a great I think twist. That's a really underrated story. Yeah, uh, it doesn't get enough kudos. And again, to have the villain become uh, materialised as a woman, because the only blueprint they've got is Sarah Jane, when actually she's a man, I mean, that's massively... Yeah. progressive isn't it i mean that's usually ahead of its time that would be controversial now if doctor who did it can you imagine um invisible yet, enemy, that's almost a throwaway invisible, thing mm-hmm. invisible enemy which is just like yeah, it's just loaded with imagination and yeah. it's there it's unwieldy with concepts like this there's a hundred yeah, they're just throwing everything at that from the doctor being possessed to mm. a virus taking over the universe introducing K-9. They invented K-9 as a one-off character. And as we know, K-9 was the very first thing in Doctor Who that I absolutely adored. So they get massive kudos for that. But it's super pacey as well. Um, Yeah. Like, like obviously, there are some production issues, but it's really pacey. It's really witty. There's terrific model work in it. It never stands still long enough for it to be boring. No. And again, I think some of the fault with it if you want to lay blame is you've got um actors coming in with comedy comedy germanic accents which is something we'll come back to shortly um (laughs) who are not necessarily taking it as seriously as they they should but you know but yeah the concept wise it's it's phenomenal yeah it's it's the first what does that mean and two Mm -hmm. What does portmanteau mean? I've heard that where, yes. where, where lots of ingredients thrown in, and it's yes, mm-hmm. I think that's what it means. Anyway, well, I'm not going to make it now. Uh, I'm going to get back to the world. Oh, oh, I forgot about. Oh, well, I mean, there you go. You, well, everyone forgets about underworld, but they they're given their brief from Tony Reed to rewrite a Greek myth, and they take it and their their wordplay and sort of uh, sort of. The way that they adapt the myth is quite clever. It's not the mo- again. I think because of the production, I think a lot of it gets um, lost in translation. I think the script is not bad, actually, but it's yeah, just it's not their most it's, inspired. It's it? not, yeah. But look, they're they're there and they're asked to write two stories for that year. Yeah, because they're they have at that point the. The core lead writers of Doctor Who, I think they've they've earned their place at that at that table, and so if there's an emergency like there there was sort of scripting wise with that season, turn to Bob and Dave. They'll they'll come up with something. We've got no sets. It's all got to be yeah. done against Drake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll write it. Don't worry. On. We've got an even. <laughs> yeah. We've got gimp masks. What more do you want? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And then you've got the Armageddon factor where they're asked to come in and close Doctor Who's first linked season. Mm-hmm. And they're asked to finish it off with a big six-parter because, again, they're the lead writers and they're the ones you trust with that. And people will f- throw shit at the Armageddon factor. I think that's another one with like weighty concepts in there, really fun ideas. I think it, it actually suits its six-episode length. There's even yeah. like that awesome moral dilemma at the end with mm-hmm. she's, a, she's a human being or she's an atrian whatever 
she's a humanoid can we murder her to turn her into yeah. the last segment the, the you know the conceit at the end with the black guy it's just a really fun smart story and yeah the resources are running out but but your imagination's on no exactly and like we said they're structuring a six-part story very cleverly as three two-parters almost that are, are, are yeah. linked all the way through so they know what they're doing they know how to do doctor who by this point um so i've got a question for you then yeah well, what are we talking about today well <laughs> it's none of those <laughs> um, the no, we're talking about Bob Baker script. <laughs> yes well and the last bob baker strip script which as it turns out, is a bit of a pity because he could have, yeah. like David Fisher, if uh -huh. JNT had just been a bit more savvy and said, well, actually, look, these people are really professional writers. They could come in, write, give us two four-part stories a year so the script editor doesn't have to worry about, he knows he's going to get something that's workable from them, would need minimal effort. I'd, like like David Fisher, I think Bob Baker should have been writing for Doctor Who right right through. He is so humble on the special features. I watched these before, yeah. right? And he's going, well, you know, I think I got away with it. And people said they couldn't see the scenes. I have to say right this second, this is one of the best structured scripts in Doctor Who. Okay, this films mm -hmm. four parts beautifully. It's yes. full of terrific concepts. To, and like, like it doesn't always have the money, but the set pieces on the page are incredible. Yeah, it's full of twists and really clever twists as well. It's brilliantly Great written. Characters, it's got monsters. Um, it's got a terrific last episode on the page. Yeah. Um, I think Bob Baker should hold his head high that his solo script is. I think it's one of the best Tom Baker scripts. Yeah, I, I, I think so. If it, if the production had been less less troubled then i think this would would stand right up mm. in the tom baker pamphlet it's it's always been a huge favorite of mine but you know right like you and i we are of the ilk that where we can kind of forgive production yes deficiency. you can look past that and we can see what's on however i'm also someone who has a massive love of b movies right so that's my that's my yeah. pleasure one of my favourite movies on my shelf is a Nymphoid Barbarian and Dinosaur Hell, you know, which I've got. Which I've, got <laughs> I've never even shop. heard of that. How can that be a thing? <laughs> it's, next, it's next to the brain on my shelf. The brain. Okay. The, the brain is all about this enormous brain, right? Which is mm -hmm. yeah, I've seen that one. Oh, you've seen it? Okay. Yeah. Nymphoid Barbarian and Dinosaur Hell. She's a time traveling nymphoid um, who goes back to the Cretaceous <laughs> age. And comes up against these terrible CGI. It's, it's the most incredibly awful, wonderful movie. Anyway, so this obviously has some production deficiencies. But I love that. Yes. Well. I love it. I freaking love yeah. it. Because, because despite all of that, what you end up with is something that is never less than entertaining. Yes. It might be clumsy and it might be clunky in places, but there's still loads of things in this where that are pushing what Doctor Who can do in the late 70s. So the video effects are astonishing for the time and really, and they're relying on these to tell a lot of the story, but they work really well. Doesn't, again, the model work, it's not bad consider it it's on video yeah they do the best if it had been on film it would have been a different a whole different exactly um so, well, we were already talking about the story 
Should we go? Yeah, so we probably we should. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, well, I'm going to count those in then, if you're ready. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, so let's go down in tryst numbers. Five, four, three, two, one. Superior knowledge. Go. Off we go into time and mm -hmm. space and space. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I, this is one of the first stories I ever saw. Because I started, as I've mentioned, on probably every comic I don't think done. you have, you know. I don't think you've mentioned this before. Go on. No, I, I, Doctor Who, for me, started in 1979 with Destiny of the Daleks, when my mum sat me down to watch Doctor Who, because it would be something we could do together. So these stories are just etched in my my little heads these are the ones that oh God, that music's so good isn't it sorry sorry what oh no oh no <laughs> look to camera <laughs> but so doctor who at this point is colorful and fun and silly but with such huge mind expanding ideas and wit and smart, though, as yes. well. Oh, my God, these people in the economy class. I know. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> That's what you get if you fly Ryanair. <laughs> <laughs> I bet there's no toilet either. I want some yeah, of those. For that. Oh, my God, I'm going to a convention at the weekend. Shall I cosplay as one of those? Yeah, go on, get your silver onesie out. All I need is a silver condom around my head and uh, <laughs> a pair of those enormous... No shades, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh no! Oh, David Dacre here. Hey, you the, woman who's, the woman who's like, um, Where, "What's going on? When are we going down to Asia?" Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, now, again, this man is is high as a kite, isn't he? Yes, there there are clues there, <laughs> but it's it's a, it's a pretty good yeah, it's a pretty good performance. But it's all these things in this story. Everything is sort of working against each other. Mm. I always think this is like the Williams era version of, of Paradise Towers, where not everyone is on the right page, and if they're just cohered a little bit more. So the costumes are spangly and really show busy and glittery when they don't need to be. So that works against the acting that is going on, which, is which works against the sets, which are all mustard yellow and all over the place. And so nothing is quite cohering. Am I just blind to all this? Like, I, I agree with everything you're saying, but I freaking love it. I can, I can forgive I mean, it all. these yes. men looking like they've walked out of the YMCA. <laughs> yeah. I know. Look, they've got lycra underneath with spangly tops over the top. It's, it's you just... know what? I think I had a night with someone who looks very like <laughs> right there, you know. <laughs> I think he was wearing that on the night down the disco. <laughs> Um, but okay, well, our massive concept number one: two spaceships, which are yeah coming out together. of yeah coming out of warp um, warp space, and just yeah, what a brilliant idea! So what a wonderful funny. idea! I mean, that that takes real imagination and real. That's a a big thing. But oh, I really like you, know, you know the interface video effects where you see like the ship through the through the hole of one ship yeah like the exterior i think those are nice effects for the time yeah exactly because oh, again the word. video effects people are 
are giving it its all. Not sure about Romana's grey maternity dress. I think, yeah, this, yeah, it's her worst costume. But again, part of this will come down to budgeting, I'm, I'm guessing, and maybe that this was an off the peg costume rather than something that was properly designed for her because yeah. there's no money. Because again, Graham Williams has learned that you don't you save your money for the last story of the season so that you go out on a high well and then unfortunately the rug is ripped from underneath him because of everything happening at the bbc so that must have been for him yeah so I will exactly say, where he the animated shard that we have now is literally one of my most favorite things ever love it i love its pieces like do you know do you not get this like warm feeling like you've just had porridge or something when the doctor and romana turn up start having yeah well absolutely i mean they're my team the dr romana and k9 these three maybe not david brearley's k9 who is slightly camp i think the professor is dead <laughs> someone has stolen part slightly, of his mind you say slightly camp <laughs> oh i love this look the dr romana walk in and they're having their row about insurance and mm -hmm. they don't even acknowledge that they walked in no what's it he says there's a great line in this where he says uh, what's it interfere of course we should interfere always do interfere. what you do always do i think we just missed that one oh, but that, yeah right. that just sums up the doctor in season 17 so beautifully yeah he's just here and like like he says he's just having fun and he really is and Would i don't know what's happened to lala's arms here they, uh, they disappear every <laughs> so often. <laughs> she seems to have been, had them locked off. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I can't really notice it Once now. you start noticing it, it happens all the way through the story. I've never noticed that before. She's obviously just got them behind her back and because of the sleeves, it doesn't quite work, but it's just... <laughs> Jesus, we better have that man from The Independent who was commenting on the Flux episode one and the disabled woman in it isn't watching yes it. Mm -hmm. oh i never heard anything so ridiculous in all my life mm -hmm. um excite the molecules yes i've been doing that all mm -hmm. my life <laughs> <laughs> but my god okay let's look at this as a as a structure piece as a whole okay this whole thing was deliberate wasn't it to get the two yes. ships together so they could pass the racks the man exactly from one mm -hmm. to the other and and it's just a, that's just a terrific notion yeah incredible yeah i mean it is a beautifully plotted really clever story mm. it's yeah I bet Terrence Six was watching this, right? Yeah, because he did the novelization for this, didn't he? He did. Fantastic target book cover, by the way. Um, I bet he's watching this going, oh, how embarrassing it all is. But I bet he's reading the script and going, ah, this is very cleanly possible. Exactly. You know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. And again, and I think this is something that fandom in their received wisdom, hello Fraser, <laughs> um, sort of does, where they can't look beyond the production of it. Does Fraser it's not so like embarrassing, but hmm? does Fraser not like this one? Oh no, I think Fraser likes this one. I think it's just the received fan wisdom that it's so badly made that there is nothing of worth in it. But you and say, that's not true. 
I don't think this is entirely the, the production is entirely without worth. And I'm gonna point no, out no. go along, which I think work rather well. Yeah, you've got scenes like this where they've turned the lights down. Yeah. And you've got got the sort of service tunnels where it's lit more moodily. And Dudley Simpson's and going. And they're always saying, Oh sorry. Gone. Well, he's going da na 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 na. Yeah, Dudley's on. I think this is Dudley's last great score. I think this one, particularly with the electric piano and his sort of mysterious music here, is is really great. The halls of Nymon. I think this is a better score. Remember when the Nymon are walking in the corridor? It's like da 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 Do you know what? You're the one person I know that if I started singing Dudley Simpson scores. You would absolutely know. Hang on. Uh, oh, we've done this. We've done this. Come on, what's that? Yeah. <laughs> but look, I mean, for a story that's everyone says is overlit and too bright, this is this is dark and shadowy and and odd. But of course, because it's it's a pleasure liner with passengers it's like a cruise ship it's gonna be bright they're all bright because you've got people walking around in them you know what i'll tell you what if it's a pleasure liner then you know what music should be playing over the ships uh <laughs> what's that from that's from gold the oh, Blake seven episodes <laughs> um, oh here we go here we go. Right, wait, wait, wait. Can I just ask you a question about um, because that, that that was a very important scene there where he just said about oh my god, it's Raxoin, it's a deadly yes. drug, ravaged planets, blah, blah blah. What do you think about Doctor Who? Literally, normally it couches real life stuff in metaphor, doesn't it, Doctor? Mm -hmm. Well, the metaphor is torn away here. This is about drugs. Yes. Um, it's very courageous dealing with it and. Um, so one of the, the things in the production, Lola Ward was really concerned about that theme in it, and she asked for the drug to be renamed. Oh, so originally it was going to be called Zip, so spelled XYP. So, like, um, it came from, um, and she just said, No, said that you're making it too sound too fun and too glamorous you need to give it a, a different name rename it because the kids will think this is something something cool mm. so I mean, I think bob baker says when he about that name change what is that he wanted to call it zip because it's supposed to be a fun you know drug that produces yeah. a and have a fun name that was the whole point mm. but i can see her reading as well yeah because uh, lana ward as we know can be uh, she yeah. she always has an eye on the children watching, I think, particularly this year. This is her, like Tom does, really. So I think there's, she can be, be quite outspoken about with her opinions, as we know. Oh, but You're very diplomatic there, well done. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, I, I'm not going to lie, and I have I think it, a couple of times in these commentaries, but if Lila Ward was rude and bossy to me, I think it may be the most pleasure I ever reach in life. <laughs> <laughs> and she is the only person from Doctor Who that I went to pieces meeting. So oh. I've met lots of people, but Lala, because she's, she's just my favourite, you know, so. 
So we did just talk all over the introduction of Trist. I know you tried. Sorry, I've got us. Yes, but we've got plenty of time to talk about Trist (laughs) because that's an insane performance. Absolutely. (laughs) So, you know, like it could have been played really, really straight. Yeah. And it could have been played like, like, I don't know, like Sorensen from Planet of Evil. Yeah. Um, It's fun, though. I think it's a really fun. Yeah. He's not a realistic character in any way, shape, or form. I know. Mm-hmm. But I think we're at Doctor Who now, where where kind of stratospheric performances are like yes. the most fun you can have with the show. Oh, absolutely. And because of his his um outrageous performance, you don't see the twist coming, shock yeah. viewers listening, that he's actually behind it all. Because he's just a bumbling professor who's who's done something really clever but doesn't understand the implications of it. But he absolutely does. And so that's a really... It's also eminently quotable. I did one of these comments. Absolutely. Clara and Defana? <laughs> in the quiz deal. I, yeah, I did one of these commentaries with John Bensali where we opened one episode. Right? Yeah, we did, yes. He was Spandrel when I was Trist. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love this in a minute where the doctor. Mm-hmm. So the doctor's talking to Tris and he's like, uh, this, yes. this just shows you how brilliantly the doctor's characterized here. So he's like laughing his head off and being all genial and mm-hmm. saying, oh, wow, what an amazing machine, blah, blah, blah. And then on the way out the door, he's like, yeah, just exactly the same way a jam maker preserves raspberries. Perfect. And he fucking Perfect. condemns it on the way out uh-huh. the door and says, no, you're ripping entire parts mm-hmm. of planets and putting them in crystals. Absolutely. And this is one of the one of my huge bugbears with criticism of this era where oh it's the tom baker show oh he's not taking it at all seriously but watch him watch him all the way through he's giving a really considered performance with the material and he knows exactly when he needs to be serious so we had that scene earlier where the doctor is finds the braxoin in the in the filing cabinet and it's just that quiet he takes his voice down and his performance right down where he says says about he knows what it is and what the drug done and what he's seen it do he's he pitches it absolutely perfectly so the kids know when things are really serious he has moments in the story where he goes completely and utterly i think there's only one over. i actually think there's only yeah. there's only one moment and we all know yeah. It's been mentioned yeah. over and over again. Well, exactly. That's the stick that beats the story, isn't it? Every time. But can I just say, high concept number two, the CET machine. Yeah. So a machine that can rip a chunk off a planet, miniaturize it, put it in a crystal, and then actualize it on a screen. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, brilliant idea. Yeah. That's mind blowing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is essentially, um, what's it called, from Carnival of Monsters? Um, yeah, it's the miniscope, isn't it? It's the same sort of thing, but um, in a completely different story and used creatively in a very different way. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And the idea, I think there's a line, isn't there, where the Doctor says later, so you've, or Romana says, you've left bald parts on all these planets that you've kept. What a, that's just a brilliant Brilliant piece of writing. Yeah, the opening scene should have been the Doctor and Romana. The effects can't live up to it, unfortunately. Do you remember that episode of Star Trek, The Best of Both Worlds, where they land? And yeah, and they're just in the huge crater. 
a whole <clears throat> that, that's how this should have started with them landing yeah. they're on a planet and then there's just this massive ball <laughs> where the TARDIS is that would have been amazing uh, this is Brit. Um, I love the CET machine showing Space 1999 here so these are backgrounds from episodes of Space how 1999 to do that I think they just uh, obviously they were film cuts or something maybe not used in the actual episodes but Oh my god, we're uh, doing it again. Remember in the demons where we've got um shots of the helicopter from the James Bond yes. being blown mm -hmm. up. And that's that James Bond has got so much money they can afford to throw these shots away. Doctor Who's got no money, mm -hmm. so he needs to borrow them. This is the yeah, same yeah. thing. Yeah, exactly. But you've got a pretty decent jungle there, considering it's all uh, on videotape. I really and like again, that. because they take the lights down. It's and it's just shadowy place where the mandrels are really effective because they the really work. This you've got... is shot of him. Uh, what's his name? Yeah. Scott. He's watched Scott. Yeah, it's just watching and and Romana's obviously seen something, but <clears throat> that's great. But yeah, it's and we know that the person inside the oh my god, these yeah, the ideas are just terrific. it's just concept after concept after concept now this character Della right she's really interesting because she's giving a naturalistic performance yeah and, she um, and what's Louis Louis Fiander is that his name? Louis Fiander yeah mm -hmm. is giving like you know a pantomimic performance and yet they're mm -hmm. in a lot of scenes together so tonally yeah. it's, all it's all over yeah exactly and I think she's all right I think she's she's yeah, doing good she's got and the, the character is nicely written um, can I just say, uh, oh no, they're not passing the Bechdel test, are they? Because they're talking about a man. Yeah, but they do pass it later on. Oh, do they? Oh, okay. Well, I think, yeah, they have several scenes together. Which, as Lala says, is always a nice thing because she didn't always have a, a sort of female chum. Look at the makeup. The makeup yeah. of the guy's face. He looks <laughs> and savage, doesn't he? Yeah. That's horrible. And imagine what could have done that. And I'm imagining now young Cy Hart watching this. Yeah. And there's that horrible smoky interface and there's something horrific in there. It's going to come out yeah. and get you. And K9 coming out in reverse said, oh, no, I can't go in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That'd be me. Oh, no, you're right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, no. Oh, he's been hurt, hasn't he? There's a lovely shot in a minute where the camera comes out of the operating theatre where they're... Yes. Mm-hmm. I, see, I don't think that it's entirely without thought, the way this is executed. No. No, well, this is it's Alan Bromley, isn't it, who has come back after the Time Warrior, having had an awful time making the Time Warrior. He's cast his favourite actor, David Dacre, yeah. again, between the two stories, because he knows he'll get a good performance. <laughs> but Alan Bromley is a, is a fascinating character. He, um, he worked extensively for the BBC throughout his career and he, and what they would do because he'd given them such great service so he produced things like Out of the Unknown in the, uh, the early 70s series and things like that they would give him occasional direction um, uh, appointments as a director and bring him back as a sort of thank you to say oh you, you've given us great service so they'd try and give him something every year that he would do and so obviously because he's on the staff you get passed around the shows and doctor who came up again and everyone should have heard the warning bells go really because you could just see he's an old school director who's not going to work well with tom baker 
But you would think that they would they would have the smarts to say, right, let's not hand him massively technically complicated. Exactly. But I mean, maybe it was it was foisted on them from above. You you just never know. Like, um, like if I was looking at season seventeen, yeah, as a whole, I would have given him. I don't know. Like, I wouldn't want to do this because City of Death is terrifically. Yeah. But that's like probably like the least effects heavy story. City of Death, you know, so yeah. all, all kind of drawing rooms and art galleries and things like that, you know. Mm-hmm. They said they give him this. So this is, well, yeah. he, he doesn't understand special effects. He's got to shove two spaceships inside each other. You know? Exactly. <laughs> but he gives the special effects team at least enough room to go and do what they need to do. But I don't know. But obviously he's fired halfway through and Graham Williams has to come out and direct the rest of the story. Um, but you know what's weird is, by all accounts, you know, Bromley obviously didn't get on with Tom Baker. There's that uh, story that Lala Ward tells where Tom Baker screamed, yeah. I'm getting psittacosis down here listening to that. Yeah, is that... yeah exactly. Um, but, and, and that the atmosphere on set was really, really toxic in this one. Yeah. There is no indication in the finished result at all. No. Exactly. And I think, again, some of the problems with the story come out of that because you haven't got someone with a strong hand keeping control of everything on on the floor. It's a it's a basic telling of the story, really. Was Graham Williams a director before this? No, because he'd been a script editor and a writer, but he picked up the camera script and and directed it from that so and i i don't <laughs> think you can really tell the scene i couldn't say right this is directed by Alan. i would have no idea no mm-hmm. um whereas in um warriors gate in the next year where essentially the same thing happens you've got a director coming yeah. in there's issues he's summarily executed from the production um and then graham harper and john Nathan turner step in to direct some bits yeah they're very very competent directors so the scenes uh, it just gets better and better warriors game yeah. whereas this you're right it's very competently executed whilst never being like compellingly executed no. so yeah i'm i'm fascinated to see because we've got the blu-ray coming shortly yeah. um so we haven't had it yet um but i'd be fascinated to see the new special effects that they come up with for this story because there I, are things that can would you have chosen one from season seventeen, I, I think there's a, I think there's a smart choice actually. Me too. Um, because you, know, creature from the pit, the only thing really that you need to, to do something with is the creature, and that's a huge, huge job. There's plenty, of, it's, 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 there's plenty of things I can do with that creature, you know. Well, exactly. <laughs> so I think it, it was really between. Uh, Destiny has already been done. So it's between this and Naimon, really, and I think this is the one that will benefit most from it. I don't think there's enough special effects in the horns of Naimon, is there really? No. Whereas this is the laser beams, interfaces, model yeah. work. I think they'll probably redo all the model work, won't they? Make that I think so. And you might get a proper insect rather than a bug, a blob of white. <laughs> it's a shame, you know, because I never quite, I, I never understood what this was all about. No, I but, only knew it because of the book. The concept that an, an insect has leapt out of a projection and exactly is so good. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, do you know Ooh. what's really fantastic as well, right? They, I always love it when actors get work after, you know, they've, they've been in other things, you know, the, the, the yeah. shows that made them big. I think it's marvellous that the Muppets got work after uh, after that. Oh, look at that! Oh, my God! <laughs> <laughs> now, okay, before we out, the mandrels, right? Yeah. I think that they are executed appallingly, but I do think, like, from here up, from the chest up, they're designed really well. Yes. Uh, they're kind of, I think the idea was that they were supposed to be sort of mushroom-like, so they'd have a, a small bottom and a big top. So Thank you, they're, they're working working on the brief. <laughs> That's why we all like a big top, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I don't know, a small bottom has its place as well. <laughs> I love a big bottom as well. 